Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of e-commerce insights. I'm your host, Scott DeGrossier, founder and CEO of Wicked Reports. I'm here today with the master of the murky, frustrating, but ultimately insanely valuable world of pricing. I know this topic's vexed me personally, because when I don't listen to Patrick's advice, it ends <laughs> up paining me. <laughs> and when I follow it, which we'll get into today, it, it's been nice. It, it's helped out quite nice. So believe me, all you e-com subscription brands out there, anyone in subscription or struggling with pricing is going to learn a lot today. Welcome to my friend, Patrick Campbell, the pricing guru behind ProfitWell. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm glad you said your last name because I always avoid saying your last name because I'm always scared I'm going to screw it up. So yeah, but excited to be here, man. Excited to chat. Um, all things e-commerce, all things pricing. Yeah. Why is pricing such a pain in the ass? <laughs> you know what's funny? I think it's it's it has nothing to do with its difficulty level. I think pricing, and, and granted, I've been doing this for a while. So for those of you who don't know, um, for a while, we have a couple of different products. One is like free subscription metrics. You plug in your billing system, like Recharge or Stripe or something. And then one of our products is pricing. And we've been we've had that product in the in the market for you know a good eight years now. And what we've learned is that it's not difficult. It's just it's uncomfortable and important. And whenever you have something that's uncomfortable and important, you just tend to avoid doing it because you don't want to confront your like own insecurities about it. And so yeah, it's 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 that's that's really what it is. And and kind of more tactically. It impacts your customers. You have to go talk to your customers either for the first time, your prospects or your existing customers, and you have to say, hey, our prices is changing or our pricing is moving or, oh, maybe they're not going to like me. They're not going to convert now that the price is $5 more, like all of these types of things. So it's really that discomfort. And I think what I like to tell people is, think about the first time you ever did Facebook ads or ever did you know, Instagram ads. It was uncomfortable because you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I researched a bunch of things and then you got really good at it. You got really good at optimizing. Pricing is the same thing. You just have to approach it with that same mindset and it becomes less uncomfortable. It's kind of like a personal development lesson. You got to approach things that That's make right. you uncomfortable. <laughs> totally. Well, it's also, I think it's also one of those things where it's it's not a natural lever that people think of. And it's one of those levers that you you feel because of that insecurity, you feel like you're you're gonna have more loss. When in reality, most of the time people change their pricing and there's no difference in conversion. And then they start learning, oh, maybe I should, you know, use this as a lever. And I, I also think the advice that we've gotten as as operators has been very singular, right? And, and if you think about e-commerce brands, which are a lot of the folks listening, you know, you spend the majority of your budget on ads, right? Not even on a headcount, mm -hmm. right? It's mostly on ads. And so when that happens, that's your, you know, that's where you're spending all of your time, all of your focus. And what I like to tell people is that repeat purchase rate or that subscription retention rate, if you're a subscription e-commerce brand, in addition to that actual monetization piece and, and how much you're charging, those two things actually have a, a greater impact on your overall revenue than tweaking that ad campaign. And so you're still going to spend, you know, 60, 70% of your budget on ads. You're still going to spend a lot of your focus on ads and, and acquisition, but little tweaks, you know, to your monetization and little tweaks to that repeat purchase rate or that retention rate can have enormous impacts on your growth. It's just, you have to put some of that effort in. I, I've seen that. I mean, we're SaaS subscription, but we raised prices in February, right before COVID hit. Yeah. And it was easily our best year ever. Now, we're still working feverishly behind the scenes on improving retention, sure. which also matters. But 
just if people pay more, it seemed to attract a better fit customer as well because you get that higher price point and then it's not a looky-loo or a, someone super sensitive, which how long do I have until I have to actually pay? They're more totally. like want the solution and you work hard trying to get the solution. So you're excited people want what you create and the higher price attracted a better customer and we could give them more service if they needed it. Yeah. And, and when you think of, you know, your ROAS, right, you know, especially on the e-commerce side, it's like, you know, part of that is how much you're spending and how much part of that's how much revenue you're getting. Right. And we find very often that people never put any thought into their pricing. They looked at a couple of competitors and they're just like, okay, we'll, we'll just do that. And if you're not in a commoditized space, like auto parts is a pretty commoditized space, but anything that has like a heavy brand on it, like even coffee or these types of things. Everything's got brand now. Yeah, yeah. But even, but like, you know, there's some spaces where the brand matters, but matters less, right? Or, or it has high, less impact, right? If I'm looking for, you know, a specific type of, you know, gasket or something like that, I don't know if I really care about the brand unless there's, you know, some other elements. But if I'm looking for coffee, it's like, what's the story? And what's all these <laughs> other things that get involved, right? All of those th- influence like your the willingness to pay for your product. And what's amazing about it is, you didn't do any thought into, oh, should we be $5 more per per pound? Should we be even just a dollar more? But all of those different like increments, if you put some more thought into it, a little bit more research, it ends up being, makes you actually work just as hard, but have a better yield on your revenue from your ad spend or even from your existing customer, spa- uh, customer base buying more. So with e-com, sometimes it does seem like, yeah, they race to discount or be cheaper. Is it more about positioning your brand to be able to like what's the process so for e-com out there yeah. like i mean because it, it depends you know like the lobster guy like he has high prices but discounts them yep that seems to work for him but other people that wouldn't work like what's the is there a framework or how do you totally i think that you first have to determine are you a discount brand or are you a non-discount brand and that first check is if you're a non-discount brand, it doesn't mean you're not going to discount. But if you're a discount brand, you're going to be like the lobster guy or something selling, you know, like a dollar store, right? Like it's like low, low prices. Like that's part of your brand that you are the cheapest or you are the solution that is going to be the least expensive. And people come to you for that, right? A lot of people go on Amazon for the convenience, but they originally were going on Amazon because Amazon was claiming to have the lowest prices, right? Walmart did that for a long time. Walmart was like, well, match any price. At any price you come in, we will lower our price to that, right? Now, if you're a discount brand, discounts are just going to be something that are just going to be straight up inherent. And you're going to play around with the list price, right? It's kind of like free shipping. Well, free shipping is never really free. It's just rolled into the price. They just tell you it's free, right? Very similarly, your discount, it's going to be a signal, right? And so maybe it's 50% off, right? This is what Meetup really did. Their list price were always inflated based on what the actual cost was so that their discount was always not Meetup, Groupon, sorry, back in the day, um, even further back, right? It was always like, oh, the price for this massage is $10. Well, they always had the price, the list price at least be $20. It wasn't even like a real like list price. So you're going to have that. Now, most brands, you're not going to be a discount brand. And what we have found is that if you're discounting over 15, 20%, your list price is just off because beyond 15, 20%, you're eroding your value considerably. And not just like me just saying that, you know, fluffily. It's like actually in the data, 
if you're a subscription e-commerce brand, your retention becomes terrible because you're attracting the wrong type of customer. You end up having, as you were mentioning, just like people who are only there for the discount and those aren't necessarily the greatest customers. Now you might be okay with that if you're just a one-off purchase type of brand and you're covering your margins, but you have to be very careful with it, especially if you're positioning yourself as a premium product, because ultimately what ends up happening is, is you, you end up not getting as many referrals, as much word of mouth, et cetera. And we've seen this in the actual data. And so the framework that I like to go, if you're a non-discount brand, discounts should be time-based. Not only do they expire because that's the real thing that gets people to purchase, but in addition to that, it shouldn't be something that it's like a forever discount, right? Unless you're doing some sort of VIP type program, they should be discreet, meaning you know, send it via the email or when someone logs into their account, if you have that type of a product, but it shouldn't be like blasted on the front of your homepage, unless again, you're a discount brand or if you're a brand that does kind of, you know, like Herman Miller and some of these more fancy brands, they'll do like, oh, we only have two discount periods a year and then they'll do it kind of on their homepage. And then ultimately you want to make sure your discount level is tested at at some amount of rigor. Uh, Normally a 10% discount does the exact same performance as a 15%. The only difference is you're losing 5% because they're just purchasing because you're giving them a deal. So you have to be really careful with the actual percentage and put some thought into it. So that's kind of the framework that I would think through. If someone comes to you e-com and says, my pricing pricing sucks, Mm. and I, I don't want to be a discount brand, Sure. Like, is that like a whole like rebranding? Like, does that, like, what do they have to do? Um, I don't think so. I think, I mean, the default is not discount brand, right? The default is, especially when you see a lot of D2C or just e-commerce brands in general, what you tend to see is, hey, we sell this quality product or, you know, some go even further and they tell me the entire story of how this coffee came to be and, you know, who actually picked the berries and all this other stuff, which which is great, right? That, that makes me like feel good about buying that product. And so if they're a non-discount brand and they come to me and they're like, oh, our pricing's terrible. I think the, the first thing I would ask them is like, okay, who do you target? Like, who is your customer, right? Because that's the first thing that a lot of people don't, don't get. And there's some really interesting things you can do in e-commerce that you don't really, you can't really do in like software because you have so much ad data typically. And, you know, Facebook's making it less and less each day, but you can still get a lot of data on like who's converting. You can study that customer base, but it needs to be more than, oh, people like coffee. It needs to be like, okay, our target customer are moms and dads between the ages of 35 and 50 who do this and they purchase this much coffee per month. Like you want to get that granular because at the end of the day, like you're targeting these folks and trying to get them to convert. And it's not necessarily like the number on the page you're optimizing here, but when you know who those people are, your entire funnel becomes so much more efficient. And also it allows you to understand, okay, cool. Now that we're targeting this user or this customer, what what do they care about? What do they not care about? Like, what are the features? What are the functionality? These types of things. And then beyond that, like doing a little bit of research to see what their willingness to pay looks like. If you're selling coffee to 45-year-old finance bro, that's your target customer, you could probably charge a lot more for that pound of coffee versus the person who's like the blue-collar worker out of the Midwest who they just want something a little bit better than Folgers, right? And that's, that's the kind of thing you have to think about. I mean, when you do that research you then start to realize, oh, there's multiple types of customers. So this is where we get into like actual fulfillment of around your packaging. Like what types of features or what types of products are you going to offer? Oh, we have the premium blend of coffee. We have the standard blend of coffee. We have the organic fair trade shade grown coffee. Like this is where you start to figure out like, 
how can you actually get that average revenue per customer or even that average order value to increase based on that knowledge of that customer? And that's that's the big thing. And that also will drive you, oh, it turns out, you know, our standard blue collar coffee drinker out of the Midwest, he or she actually does like to be a discounted brand. So every time we send him or her $5 off coupon, he or she always purchases. That's really good to know because that's going to set up all of those plays down the road. Yeah. We find with the uh, e-com, particularly with a subscription, sometimes it can take time to close the people because committing to a subscription, you might have to you know, get them in on a trial or Otherwise, they're just going to be more consideration before they sign up for yeah. one. But then once you get them, the, the, the compound lifetime value, it's like such a value multiplier that you can almost spend at a loss or break even to get them because, you know, month two or month three, then you're doubling or starting to triple your money. You just got to totally. you got to play the long game. That's all. People don't like well, to play the long game. No, they like to play the single move game. You play. Yeah. Well, that's the reason you, I'm glad you brought that up because I am... I think every subscription or every e-commerce brand should start a subscription of some sort, even if it's just basic subscribe and save to start. And not everyone does subscribe and save really make that much sense. You see this in like beauty and health and some of these other places, but coffee makes sense, but some other places it just doesn't, like especially if you're more of a bespoke product, but you should still have a subscription somehow. And I think the reason is, is because it makes your lifetime value so easy to get higher, right? And you might have a subscription where people only stick around for like three to four months and then they come back six months later for another three to four months after some promotion that you do. But just think about those little chunks rather than buying that one-time product. Like I, I worked at, I actually, my first, I don't know if you know this, my first kind of non-big company job, I worked for a company called Gemvara, which was kind of like a Blue Nile competitor. So customizable jewelry. Uh, and I didn't know that. Jewelry, yeah, and, and it was like DSC, all made in America, but like you could customize like the gemstones and stuff. And the problem with that business is when people came, it was awesome, you know, because it was really high value, but you know, the acquisition costs were so high. And yeah, you purchase more gemstone jewelry in your life than diamond jewelry in your life, hopefully and theoretically, but like <laughs> at the end of the day, like are you making two purchases a year, three purchases a year? It's so hard to build a sustainable business off of those type of unit economics. And so if we had a subscription and maybe the subscription was just a membership, 10 bucks a month for early access to our newest and best gemstones or something like that, mm-hmm. even just the the you know 20% of people who might sign up for that, all of a sudden we're looking at just like an amazing like kind of float on our business. And also those people tend to buy more one-off products as well. So I'm a big fan. And, and the thing I like to say is, is like, you're taking the relationship with that customer and moving it from this like transactional one-off thing to putting it at the center of how you make money. And when that happens, you end up having people who not only purchase the subscription and get value there, but they'll also make more one-time purchases. And and all of a sudden that AOV and that lifetime value just expands um, in a really good way. Yeah. I mean, we have, uh, we've seen that. I got one kind of interesting example with our, uh, we have a, w- a couple wineries that use us. And so mm-hmm. they even track tastings at people's houses. So I had mm-hmm. a guy come out, he was going to the Nantucket Wine Festival, my favorite wine, modus operandi. And, <laughs> I love it. And he's, he's like, he's like, hey, I'm coming in, Wicked Reports, I'm coming in local. We'd gone and tasted his wine once. And I was like, hey, come by, I'll throw a wine tasting, make it worth your while. My friends will come, probably someone will buy something, who knows, we'll buy something. And then yeah. we'll go to the Nantucket Wine Festival with you for the weekend. 
So he comes in and everyone just scratches out their, you know, samples or, Hey, I might do something or a couple people made a purchase. Well, it's quarterly or, you know, I think it's every two months you're paying mm -hmm. another like hundred bucks or something. It's pretty, pretty great wine. And I keep going in and it's like every like four or six months, he's like doubled his money again. Yeah. <laughs> like every year and he doesn't have to spend any like a very minimal amount of money to acquire you right and it's probably cheaper to just have a good experience than it is to like get four touches you know of attribution and all this other stuff so yeah, yeah his it's, cost it's, it's was good. ship some ship i don't know like it, one case of wine who knows that cost him a lot less than what he sells it for and then his flight out and then he made his money back pretty much at the event. But then every two months, he's like doubling and doubling, and doubling. So I'm like, you just keep doing these wine tastings every weekend. Yeah. All of a sudden, you get this like huge subscription revenue, which I wouldn't have yeah. thought with, you know, I didn't consider that it would occur from, you know, local wine tastings, but it yeah. does. It, it gets tough because you have to, um, the quantity that you, so like wine even wine has this issue, but, but like some folks, you know, if it's a very like bespoke product, like a lot of the box of the month type co companies, they're, they're very curated. And so it's very contingent on the curation. Right. And as long as like, they're giving you at least one thing in that box that you value, you'll probably keep purchasing. If you're kind of a, um, a consumptive product like wine or even coffee or these types of things, it can get a little wonky because of how much is being sent and so that's, that's the one thing to kind of keep in mind is like with wine, it's like, if you don't drink it all, you'll, you know, you'll store it and you'll use it eventually. Right. Yeah. Um, coffee, it's kind of like, oh man, I have too many pounds of coffee adding up. And so that's why you always want to offer like options of like, send me half a pound, pound, three pounds, whatever it ends up being. This is what those companies have done. And some folks have taken it even to the next level where there's a couple of companies in subscription e-commerce where they'll send you a scale. And they'll basically, and Amazon now has this scale as well, where you'll you'll tear the scale and you'll put the item on it, and as soon as uh, it goes to zero, that's or close to zero, that's when they send you the the reshipment, which is kind of fascinating because it's not quite subscription, but it's recurring revenue, and it's recurring revenue by taking care of that that problem. Never thought of that. That's genius. Yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. I think it's I think that's kind of the future is like, at least for subscription type products that are like these consumptive products. I think it's less about this every month and it's more about like making sure that you're getting on the right timetable i know there's a company called pact they were a coffee company out of uh, the uk i think they're still around they what they, the way they solve the problem is they tried to get everyone in this mobile app and they made it really quick for like how much you needed like their fulfillment was really quick i think the problem there is like you're relying on people having to like log in or like do something rather than mm -hmm. just like the consistency of coming so yeah I, sorry, I got, I get, I get worked up on this stuff. I get excited by it. No, content. like I was thinking, cause I like the native deodorant, but the yeah. subscription, sometimes it come too late or too early and that would completely throw it off. And then I cancel every time I, I'm not currently doing it. Cause I'd be like, I'm out of deodorant. Yeah. I can't wait. Or if I had too many accumulated, I'm like, I don't need three deodorants. Like I could yeah. never get it down how, when I wanted it. So yeah. if they would have like, I don't know, tested or like tried to figure out my cycle of, when I'm gonna yeah. think again? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Because I couldn't figure it out. Also, I was just like, totally. shut them out. I'm gonna go get Old Spice because I need deodorant. Yeah. Today. My I think some day. packaging. I think some packaging will take care of this too. Um, I don't know if anyone's done this, but like, imagine you know the world of like Internet of Things, right? Imagine if somehow your maybe it's not the throwaway one, but like your vitamin bottle, like could somehow 
already detect, oh, we're basically at three days, right? Like, I think that's an interesting world as like packaging stuff becomes cheaper and cheaper. Like we're still a ways away from that, obviously, but yeah, we'll, we'll crank from there. Probably not far. You got an RFID. Yep. Just, you you know, let's say if you got supplements we have a lot of supplement brands, they make a lot, it's a big business. Yeah. Just how many Every time we see one of those come on ProfitWell, it's like, we're always just like, all right, that one's going to grow exponentially, especially this past 12 months. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you could do how often the cap unscrews. That's interesting. Tied the dose. Because that'd be yeah, detectable. Yeah. ID yeah. and then it just pings your phone, which has the app, which sends it up. Oh, there's the mm-hmm. next startup. <laughs> there we go. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still in the midst of this one, but I'll be looking for new ideas soon. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. What um, what is like a like one or two, or if you have them like pricing strategies where it really turned around a company to just where pricing was a big lever that like saved the day or grew to astronomical mm. heights or whatever. Yeah, I think it's a good question. So let me let me answer that more in the sense of like what are the most underutilized aspects of pricing, uh, and especially relevant to e-commerce. Uh, so for one the add-on strategy. And we've all read like, or looked at the case study of like Dollar Shave Club or some of these other folks who do really good add-on strategies, but none of us like execute on it. And I think some of the best brands in the world when it comes to, to pricing, they figure out, okay, if you like this, the person's probably going to like this. And we've all seen that where like we click on something, we try to go to the cart and they basically say like, oh, do you want to add these two things? But these brands take it even a step further where on the thank you page of the order confirmation, they're offering up you those add-ons. Before the shipment comes, they are sending you like, oh, by the way, we have this other very cool thing. Do you want this? But they're basically going through the entire kind of initial sales process. And if they're doing subscriptions or something beyond, they're making sure that not only are they getting you on the main product that you're going after, but they're also getting you kind of more items throughout. And it becomes difficult to identify what those best add-ons are. I don't know if you know Drew Sanaki at all. I know, I think you oh, yeah. him at, at one of our events, but like oh, Drew, he, he, was, he was telling me in the early days and, and when they took over, so he was part of the private equity purchase of, is it Karma Loop? I can't even remember what the name of the company Karma is Loop. Yep. Yeah. The, the company that was doing like hundreds of millions and was just completely mismanaged and ran out of money. That might be too, too uh, generalization. I don't know all the details, but basically he said he <laughs> came in as, like as the new CMO and basically like came in and just said, all right, we're going to add like an upsell of white t-shirts. Like, Hey, when you buy your cool stuff, we'll send white t-shirts for an extra 10 bucks or something was one of the most successful campaigns that company had done because just asking, you know, you have these people already ready to purchase. You just have to intelligently ask. So that's the first one. I think the other one is just not doing basic pricing research. Are you a $19 product versus a $20 product? That's an interesting question. But most people, it's just figure out, are you a $30 product? Are you a $50 product? Like figure that out. Because oftentimes what we find is people, you know, they're at five bucks when they should be at 10. They're at $10 when they should be at 25, depending on the product and so on and so forth. And like, presumably you've covered your costs. That's how you set your price and looked at some competitors. But if you're supposed to be double where you are now for some of your products, like, that's all margin. Like that's all margin. That means you can go into wider markets. You can go after different types of customers. And then I think the third thing, we see a lot of people doing a lot of success with localization. 
So what I mean by that, not everyone on here is probably international brands, but if you're an international brand, making sure that your price, like your symbol of your price, your currency symbol is different for the different regions that you're in. And in addition to that, make sure that you're even setting the price differently. So the price in Canada should be different than the price in the US, not only from an exchange rate perspective, but just from a willingness to pay perspective. And a lot of this like depends on how you could ship and not everyone can ship internationally. But I think the biggest thing to kind of think about is, is making sure that's taken care of. And, and we have seen some people experiment with, you have to be careful with this, basically with like pricing different channel sources differently. Google, stuff that comes in organically through SEO, the price is different than stuff that comes in through Facebook ads. And they've seen some success with that, but that gets really complicated but it is something that's you know really, really worthwhile as well. When Get Main Lobster, my very first brand I worked with, they got in with Groupon and at net, netted out at the end of the day that they, if they sold it, they were just going to make the shipping because this was back before free shipping yeah. everywhere. They're going to make like... So what we started doing was the purchase went through and then there was an email that went out the next day. Hey, we're packing your lobster on the dock. Do you want us to throw in some chowder? It was like 15 or 20 bucks. And people, the take rate was like 25%. And it was all, you know, the chowder wasn't a deal, really. And it was like, people like, oh, shoot, of course I want chowder. <laughs> I'm getting lobster. I, I can't believe I forgot. You know, so one out of four, and that was just all free money. All free yeah, money. that's great. And it that's was, awesome. You know, he wasn't at the dock. It was fulfilled, you know. I mean, now he actually is on the dock, but at the time he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, that, that's true. And just a, a framework to approach thinking about your price. Yeah. People just set a price. Like I just set a price. I mean, I'm not e-com, but I just set a price when I first started. I just had three of them. I just like, oh, yeah. okay, we need three. So I'll do these three. <laughs> yeah. And a C- the first CRM we integrated with was around this price. So I said, I'll be around that price. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad, it's not a bad, like when you're trying to find something, you're trying to find a benchmark. It's just the best benchmark to go to is go to your customers and and you have to ask in the right way and you kind of have to like do a little bit of like, hey, you're a prosecuting attorney so you don't want to lead the witness, but it becomes crucial to understand where you are and and experiment a little bit. The one thing that e-commerce typically has that other industries don't and most e-commerce companies is you have a short sales cycle. So test it for two days. Hey, we're going to like up our price 15% for two days. See what happens to your conversion. Um, you're probably going to find it doesn't affect conversion, which is kind of wild, right? And then you can, you know, that'll help you want to do more experiments then. Yeah, up in the price is nice. And then, you know, with the Apple Facebook changes, there's more of a need to grab lead capture just to be able to use the data. So you could up the price and then offer the sum of the price raise as an instant discount if you opt in first time. Yep. You know, totally. That, that, that works really well. We've seen... Because if you combine that and then you're going to get the upsell afterwards anyway, you're not, you didn't really give anything away. Yep. <laughs> Ideally. Exactly. You know? Yep. Now, this is mostly e-com. I was wondering about the freemium. Is, are you still the freemium manifesto? Is that still yeah, the case? Yeah. I always yeah. liked the idea of doing it, but I just couldn't. I just felt our product was too complex and just needed, it just, I just needed mental commitment. Yeah, I was afraid of everyone's a snowflake. Customer success, you know. I mean, we don't yeah. have a huge team; we're like twenty-something people. Yeah, all these. But I mean, is that still like the the future in your opinion? Even in e-commerce, you are going to have. There's just a future where your best content or your best, you know, kind of way to acquire customers is going to be through some sort of freemium product of some sort. Now, here, here's the thing: your freemium product, Scott, with your product 
might not be directly related to the product that you sell, right? But it might attract the right people. Uh, and so if it can be related, and maybe it's you know not directly related, but it's complementary, fantastic, right? I think in the world of e-commerce, you're going to see more of this with communities and memberships. So maybe there's a free membership to a community around coffee or something like that. Mm -hmm. You're going to see more of that. And it's not quite a freemium product in the sense of like, oh, it's something I log into every day. But you'll probably see like mobile apps and things like that that pop up that people use in order to attract that, you know, in a very kind of direct sense, that email address, but then they nurture that lead in order to, to kind of convert them. And you saw this, you see this with content, right? And this is why this is how you, people should think about freemium is it's like premium content. It's a product, but it's premium content typically. But content, you see more and more brands go into media because they're just like, oh, I need a better way to attract these folks or at least attract them before the conversion rather than just trying to get direct ads to get them to purchase. Yeah. We were thinking of Q2 is is the freemium or, or cheapy just going to do like some cohort lifetime value stuff where you can get the customer cohort for free. And then when you want to add the leads in and you start paying there and then you go graduate up to attribution at that point, that's what I'm hmm. leaning towards. But yeah. Yeah. Something that attracts the customer that you're going after. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. So you got a lot of uh, content going on here nowadays. Are you a full-time pricing personality now? Do you yeah, find time something to still like, like run the company? Because you get a lot of shows. I'm always getting yeah, we have show a show. I'm usually downloading and watching the recordings. Or I yeah, like PDFs. PDFs are nice. Yeah, we have a. So what, what Scott's referencing is we we went all in on content, and we actually we we thought about our content as like a media company, but a media company to attract our who we care about, which are people who have subscription businesses. And so we have a bunch of like shows, not only podcasts, but video series, and then a lot of written content. It's going well. I mean, the team runs it. I still am involved, you know, on some level, but the team, we, we finally got to the point where I'm kind of out of the process, mostly about 95% out of the process, which is good, which is obviously great because you gotta, there's a lot of things you got to do as an operator uh, that don't involve content or marketing and these types of things. And so it, it allows me to kind of you know, help out where I can, and then ultimately, you know, let the team ride. And you'll see less of me actually over time because we're we're trying to get other people to kind of take on more of the face. So it's not just the Patrick show all the time. So how do you track the results? Is it just bottom line or because without that much content, that does seem yeah, it's a hard. challenging. As an attribution person, I'm still like, well, that's a yeah. lot of tracking methodology you need for all these. It is not... It, we do not have like attribution in the sense of like that maybe an e-commerce brand would appreciate. And so we we kind of have the start and the finish, right? So we can do last touch, we can do first touch, and then we can also do a uh, some level of like, what did they look at before they converted, if that makes sense. But there's no like very clear line. And I think part of me that frustrates me because most of the stuff I publish is very, very data. And so you'd, you'd expect I would care more about pure attribution. And part of me is like, it's okay because I think some of this, there are some like ancillary effects that come from it, particularly around our brand. I think people think we're larger than we are, um, which is good um, because of the quality. Um, they also, there's a lot of big, there's a lot of trust that comes from it. And so the way that we kind of look at it is we really care about what is the cost per like episode, right? For like a series um, mm -hmm. or what is the cost per piece of content? And then we look at that relative to a similar series where we are tracking, you know, at least some level of attribution. And then we make a judgment call and we realize we're not going to be able to be perfect. And I think that's the thing with attribution is, you know, with, especially with all the Facebook changes that are occurring, it's like, 
you need to like anyone who says, oh, well, if it's not perfect, we're just not going to do it, which is a lot of people with attribution. It's so frustrating because there is no data at all in building a business that's perfect. You might have a segment that's perfect or you might have, you know, something, but like you always need to strive for that perfection. So every quarter we get better at our content attribution, basically by just adding more variables and, and, you know, tracking it better and things like that. But it's, it's not a slam dunk, like a pure ad campaign on a transactional product or something like that. What's next for profit? Well, in 2021, what's the, what's the master plan that you can share? So we, um, and, and I don't just assuming no one knows who we are. We had this journey where we came out with this free product so that you plug into your billing system, like I mentioned at the top. And basically, we give you access to all of your subscription financial metrics. And that that product has taken off. You know, We have about 24,000 companies using it and it's free, um, but it's also good, um, we would argue. Uh, and that's why it's also being used. And that whole process was basically, we need to understand subscription growth better than anyone else. Like that's that was the thing. Like we need to understand how it works what metrics work here, what metrics work there, et cetera. And we've been able to do that by studying all of this data in aggregate. And now the journey has basically become deploying that understanding into products that our customers can plug in and just turnkey solves a problem for them. And so the the most obvious one right now is this product called Retain, where we handle your credit card failures completely for you. You don't have to do anything beyond just set it up. Um, There's no tweaking, no optimizations that you need to worry about. We kind of take care of it. And so we're expanding that product now to also do term optimization. So basically targeting the right people to get on longer term plans uh, because longer term plans, you know, quarterly, they pay you more than a monthly, you know, so on and so forth. And then also help reactivate customers based on the data. And so 2021 and beyond is, you know, digging deeper into like using this data properly and then making it easy so that theoretically in three to five years, you know, you're, you got multiple products from ProfitWell that you plug in and all of them just make you money automatically. Um, So that's kind of the goal. Fantastic. All right. Where can people find out more? Yeah. So I'm just, you know, Patrick Campbell on LinkedIn. Also, I'm Patrick at ProfitWell.com. So you can hit me up if you have any questions or want any of the data that I referenced. And, uh, yeah, it's been a good time and uh, it's good talking yeah. to you, man. We, we don't get to hang out and get our sweet green. We have to get excuses like podcasts to meet and hang out. I know. I miss going down to HQ there that you had. Those, those are fun yeah. for me. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Have a, good, have a good week. Thanks for being on.